Welcome to the GMC Podcast, the regular place where you can catch all the sermon series and other highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. This podcast brings you wisdom from the sermon series, The Summer of Love, with a key text from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian Church, chapters 13, verses 1 through 7. As we are challenged to understand what does love look like in our lives, both as individuals, in society, and what love should look like in a community of Christ followers. But before that wisdom from God's word, let's take some time wherever we are listening to come before the Lord and God in prayer. Loving and ever-present Father, we come this morning just as we are. There is no hiding from you, and we cannot pretend to be different, because you have known us since we were conceived, and you have been with us throughout our lives. You have been with us in our joys and in our sorrows, the best and worst of times. You are always there with us to guide, protect, and comfort us. You give us strength and courage for each new day, and the challenges with which we are faced. All we can say is thank you and praise you for your steadfast love and mercy and grace. You have provided for all of our needs and you have guided us in your ways. You have surrounded us with family and friends who love us, support us, and encourage us to be better disciples of your son, who was prepared to give his life for us so that we could have the promise of eternal life in your kingdom. But so often we fall short and fail to reach out in love to others. We fail to speak out for you and against the tyranny of sin. Father, forgive us and help us to be more like Jesus, to have courage to speak out against all that is wrong, both locally and globally. Father God, you are the embodiment of all that is love, but so often we attach strings and conditions to our love for others. Forgive us, Father, and teach us to love as you love us unconditionally and without thought for personal gain or prestige. You walk with us daily, but we fail to acknowledge our constant need for you. Forgive us and show us how to be more loving to everyone we meet. Forgive us when we do not act according to your guidance or will for us, when we put our own concerns and preoccupations before the needs of others. Teach us to be more loving and considerate to the needs of others. We thank you for the beauty that surrounds us, for the grain being grown and harvested, for all those working to produce the food we need for our survival. We take all of this for granted. We have a constant supply of food for our needs. Forgive us when we forget the needs of others in our community, for whom providing food for their family is a daily struggle, and also for countries where food is in short supply. Lord, help us to speak out for a more equal sharing of resources in order that hunger becomes history. Father, thank you that Anne and Richard have given their lives to your service. We ask for your blessing on them as they profess their love for you, and we would ask for your blessing on all of us as we support Anne and Richard and each other on our journey of faith and love. We ask all of this through the love and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Following the prayer, I hope your heart is still and now ready for God's word today. 
If anything you hear from God's Word and the following sermon raises questions, then please contact us for more information about how we can support you in your faith and how you may want to support GMC in our work for the Kingdom. Now, over to our preacher. Right, this summer, over 10 weeks, uh, it's gone quite quickly, uh, maybe because I haven't preached all the weeks, um, but we're concluding this morning at looking through the love, love, what it is through the lens of Christian faith. Uh, Lee, last week, talked about faith and the importance of it, um, and of course, trust in the goodness, the sovereignty, the truth of God in Jesus Christ is the bedrock of faith. And it's in that faith that Christians are called to a deep sacrificial love. And so as we conclude the series, I just want to read back that um, key text that's underpinned all of the previous nine weeks and this week. And the key text has been from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through to 7. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Wow, that is a real amazing kind of love. Can you imagine a world where that was true for everyone? All of those things. For all human relationships. In homes, between husbands and wives, between parents and children. Across wider family networks with brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. No divorce. No broken homes. No children in care. No abuse. Can you imagine a world where this kind of love is expressed by Paul, that's expressed in those words written by Paul, where in the world that kind of love was true, where human relationships across politics, across different communities, across national borders is expressed in this way? No nationalism, no factionalism. No desire to get one over on someone else. No desire to commit crime, to steal and rape or murder. No power grabbing. Certainly no cutting off of hands or subjugation of girls by withdrawing their education or prescription on what clothing they should wear. Can you imagine a love where none of these darker sides of humanity existed? I think it's kind of hard to because that's not the world we live in. Our world does not reflect this love. It more than often is not patient and kind and it is instead boastful and proud, self-seeking and delighting in evil things. The things that go against the very nature of God. So then what's the point? Why bother? Why bother if what Paul is writing about isn't achievable? Is he just setting us up to fail? No, I don't believe he is. Because this love is attainable. It is possible. One person at a time. 
We look to others for this love. And we, in our world, we don't see it. I've just said we don't see this love. But this love is possible one person at a time. And who is that one person? You. Don't look to others to achieve this love. Look first to yourself and then embody Christ. Pray and ask Holy Spirit to embolden you in Christ. And know this. Because in verse 8, Paul then says, love never fails. That's what today is about, love never failing. These three words are the end of our key text, love never fails. And you might say, of course it does. After all, after everything I've just said about the world, about relationships, whether in family or nations or politics, all these sways of human existence where love fails all the time, of course it fails. So today I'm looking at three texts. One from the Old Testament scriptures, one from another of Paul's letters, which we know well, Romans, and one from the apocalyptic writings of the Apostle John in the closing book of the New Testament from Revelation. So the first word from God we will have is from Jeremiah, just one verse. Chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Really quick overview. Jeremiah is a big book. There's a lot in it. But Jeremiah was a prophet to the nation of Judah, to the people of Jerusalem. He was commissioned by God as a prophet to the nation of Judah when he was a young man commissioned with not a great uh, role actually he was to bring a message of judgment to them it was a message he brought to the nation of Judah for around 40 years up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC and a couple of years beyond that and Jeremiah in the scriptures cuts a lone figure he was often ill at ease with his calling He was often isolated from society, and let's face it, no wonder, because the message he was delivering wasn't wanted to be heard by people. No wonder folk avoided him. What the world looked like when Jeremiah was born, it was an Assyrian world. The Assyrian Empire had conquered the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. So the, the Jewish nations, the 12 tribes, had already split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom had been ravaged, subdued, gone. And Judah, Jerusalem, that area was held as a vassal state by the Assyrians. But their power was waning. And by the time of Jeremiah's death, the Babylonian Empire had risen. They were supreme authority in the region. And they had taken the majority of the uh, population of Jerusalem into exile into Babylon. So that's the context Jeremiah is speaking into. And God's people, chosen people, the nation, believed that they would in some way always be preserved by God. God would always protect them and the city of Jerusalem. But they had a complacent faith. They expected God to do their will. They were almost self-deluded, self-deceiving, 
And Jeremiah's prophetic words really exposed and denounced Judah, its people. And it sounds horrible, but do you know what? His word ultimately comes with reassurance. And so this single verse I've taken comes from a, a, well, comes from a much larger book, but it comes from chapter 31, verses 1 through 14. And that, that passage, 1 through 14, has a structure of joy about it. The joy of God's future. Future joy. It speaks of the nation being reunited with God, and in it you find echoes of a special covenant relationship that you trace back to the Pentateuch in Exodus where God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. He echoes to Moses and the nation of Israel. He says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And in this section from Jeremiah, he starts to echo those words. His people, their God. It is his, God's divine love on which the covenant with Israel was based. It was always based on love. And there it said, his love which is everlasting in nature. It's not transistory. It's not temporary. It's everlasting. And his everlasting nature of love would ensure his people's renewal. Jeremiah, as he writes, we've just heard, everlasting love which draws draws you in with unfailing kindness. That, those words, unfailing kindness, are from one Hebrew word, hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Obviously not in the Hebrew. That's a bunch of squiggles. But hesed is translated as unfailing kindness. And it explains the loyal outworking of God's love. He is Faithful, he is God whose love just cannot fail. We've briefly heard from Anne and Richard this morning, their stories, each of them different and unique. And each of you sat here this morning have a different story, a different story of faith. Maybe it's a fragile one. Maybe it's a hopeful story. Maybe it is assured and confident. But wherever your faith is, wherever you are, that faith should be based on a God who is unswervingly faithful. A God in whom you can be secure in the knowledge that his love doesn't fail. A couple of weeks ago I talked about basing our faith on circumstances. And if we do that... And as circumstances change, then our faith starts to waver. It starts to be shaken. If we base our faith firmly on the love of God, that is unswervingly, eternally, truthfully, permanent, that his love doesn't fail, if that's what our faith is based on, our faith cannot be shaken. But more than that, Jeremiah was talking about restoration. Restoration, the restoration that would come to the Jews in exile in Babylon. And it did happen for a while. Restoration and reuniting. So let's hear from the next text, Romans. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39. It's a text we did some while back, I think in January. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we went back and looked at the sermon from January. And in it I noted these five points in regards to the relationship with God that Paul covers in that uh, text. There it is on the screen. Death nor life. Well, you're either dead or alive. He's talking about the totality of human existence there. The totality of human existence, wherever we are on that continuum, that line, we cannot be separated from God. Present or future, that is the time. All time. Height and depth, well, that's the vastness of space. So we're talking about the totality of human existence. All time and space cannot separate us from God. And then into the supernatural realm, we're talking about angels, demons, and powers. This speaks of the supernatural realm, as I've said, cosmic agencies beyond human reality. And lastly, just as a coverall, anything in all creation. That covers anything that he hasn't mentioned before. That's that. That's the small print at the bottom. Paul is speaking of the totality of everything, leaving nothing out and says that none of these things, none of them will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Love never fails. Human love does, but not God's love. Nothing. Not a jot of anything in your life can separate you from God. So what about those who don't know God? What about the fallen, the sinner, those who defy God? Are they not separated from God? Yes, they are. In some sense, we all are. What enables us not to be separated from God is that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord, does not separate us from God. Jesus, his name, Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, and then Christ, I mean, so why has Paul put those, why hasn't he said just Jesus or Christ or the, our Lord? He puts Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, the Son of God. Christ, the anointed one, Christos, the Messiah. He's saying Jesus is the Savior. That's all tied up in that title, Christ. And therefore, if he is the Messiah, we need to come in repentance with changed hearts that goes along with accepting Jesus really is Savior. He died for you. And then Lord. Richard and Anne this morning, and you all have professed Jesus as your Lord. 
And that really isn't to make no empty claim. If you think you just said I do to a few words or agreed with a few words there, confessing him as your Lord. It's about, in my eyes, the most singularly important confession anyone can make because it's all about the relationship you want with Jesus. To accept him, to know him as Lord, is to acknowledge that you are surrendering your heart to him. You're waving the white flag on your life of all that is wrong in it and handing it over and making him Lord in your life. And in contemporary society, with sensibilities to many other thoughts, this idea that Jesus is Lord is deeply offensive. Our society find this idea offensive. And I'd even go as far to say that many Christians have lost the meaning of what Lord is. To say Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge he's Lord of all. He reigns supreme, that every knee will bow. Not every Christian knee, but every knee. Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, agnostic, atheist, Jew, you name it, everyone will bow the knee. Every human. It says that, it, it says Jesus isn't just a good moral teacher, a leader. A leader who can be usurped by philosophers and politicians, sociologists and self-help writers. Jesus isn't one of those. He's not in amongst the self-help books in the bookshop. Society cannot tell the Lord where he can offer advice on people's lives. He's not some drop-in counsellor for only certain issues in your life. But rather he is the boss of everything. Everyone's religion, politics, economics, ethics, everything. Jesus isn't interested in the size of the Christian faith among all the other religions. He's not. He's concerned about cornering the entire market with his glory, his justice, and power of heaven. And so if you accept Jesus as Lord, you must know he has every right to be the boss of all. He is the firstborn of creation. He reigns with his Father in power of Holy Spirit. Knowing Jesus is ultimately knowing God. Knowing Jesus is accepting him as risen Savior and Lord. Knowing Jesus is knowing love. And in accepting Jesus, you are accepting his love. I pulled out the words from the sermon in January that, that I clearly uh, was reading John Stott at the time. John Stott says, Our confidence is not in our love for him, which is fragile, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. Love never fails. And so we'll move on to the last text from Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband.' 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. If we are anything as Christians, we are children of the resurrected Christ. We are children of the Christ who will come again. We are those who know that there is a glorious future beyond us saying in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Yes, we live in the present. We live in the present kingdom come, but yet to come. But in Revelation, notice it's singular. Some people say revelations. No, the book that John wrote is Revelation. It's singular, not plural. But it's full of strange and sometimes bizarre, fantastical imagery. It can be scary. And those who find comfort in the Gospels or in the letters of the New Testament, can find this final book of our scriptures difficult to navigate, so people pull out from it. But know this, everyone belongs, if they're a Christian, in Revelation, because it offers the clearest purpose, purpose for creation. It's clear, it's a victory over the power of evil in our world. The spiritual battle has only one victor, Jesus. And in victory, everything is made new, a new heaven and a new earth. Everything will be different. can't tell you exactly what it will look like, but it will be different. If you think about major life changes in your own life, maybe the first time you left home to live away from mum and dad, happening for our daughter in two weeks time she's moving to university and mum and dad will have an empty house (laughs) sorry Emma think about maybe your first job your first girlfriend or boyfriend your first breakup your wedding day if you're married your first child or your second or your third. Or maybe, if you don't have children, your first nephews or nieces. Or grandchildren, for those of you who have them. Or death of someone personal, someone close, a parent, a spouse, a child. After all of these life events, Life has changed. It's different. It's not how how it was before. 
these are major changes in life. And although they are major changes for us, and I'm not quite trying to equate them with the change of the coming again of Christ, I'm trying to give you a glimpse of something new, something different, something life-transforming. You get the idea. The event, the coming of the Son of God incarnate in the person of Jesus, his ministry, his death, resurrection, and ascension, that shook and changed the world forever. And the event of the coming of him again will be huge. His sacrificial love changed the world when he became incarnate and his ministry started. And that sacrificial love continues. It's continued unbroken through the centuries and the millennia through to today. And it will continue tomorrow and next week and next decade and next millennia too until he comes again. And he will because it says God will dwell. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. For the old order of things has passed away. The old stuff has gone. I'm making everything new. Love never fails. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will be their God and they will be my children. Love never fails. In this life, times may be challenging, hard, full of trials. If you're like me and you've had your eyes glued to the news, my heart breaks. Still going on in Syria now, the desperate figures, the desperation at the airport in Kabul. And that's taking all the focus, but what about the rest of the country? This life is hard and challenging, but I know God remains faithful. He knows suffering because he suffered it on the cross for you and me. This morning you don't know Jesus or you're wavering. Know this, he loves you, he died for you. His love is beyond our capacity to love. We are bounded by our humanness. But in this series, I have tried and our other preachers have attempted to help you understand the love Christians are called to show. A love that has all the attributes I spoke about at the beginning when I reread the key text. And so as we finish up this series, the call to you all as believers, if you are a believer, is in the Lord to go and love. And if anybody here or any on the podcast, because this is being recorded and going out on a podcast, and if anyone's listening who doesn't know Jesus, it's to know that they can come and find him and find his love. And so I guess the challenge of this series, I'll leave you with a series of questions to ponder. A challenge, if you like, to ask these big questions of yourself. How do you love How do you love your spouse if you've got one? If you have children or a child, how do you love them? How do you love your grandchildren? 
or your sister or your brother, your aunts and your uncles, how do you love? How do you love your church family? How do you love your neighbor? And maybe hardest of all, how do you love your enemy? The way you love in our world is a reflection of the way you love God and how you allow him to love you. So go today in the knowledge that God's love never fails. God's love never fails. Come to him, accept him, and go in his love. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we do thank you for your everlasting, unfailing kindness and your love towards us. May we be able to show that love to our family, to our loved ones, to our world, to our community, to those we don't love. Father, empower us as your church, as your children, now and to your coming again in glory. Father, we thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the GMC podcast from Gillespie Memorial Church in Scotland. For more details about us, visit our website, gillespiechurch.org, and search for us also on YouTube and Facebook. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website or through the church office. This has been a production of the GMC team, and copyright remains with the producers of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and God bless.